0: Hi, I'm Carlos Frias and this is Sundial. Dr. Dorothy Jenkins-Fields had no idea how her life would change the day she went looking for books written by black people about black people. It was 1974. She was the first and only black faculty member at the all-white Myrtle Grove Elementary School in Miami. She'd marched with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when she was a student at Spelman College in Atlanta. Now she was a school librarian and she thought it was important to teach Miami's black history. So she called the Dade County Public Library and asked for every book they had available on Miami's black history. The clerk told her they didn't have any. 10,000 books on the shelves, and not a single one written by a black person about Miami's black history. Dr. Fields changed all that. She went on to found the Black Archives, a nonprofit that collects and organizes the African-American experience in Miami-Dade County. It's a cathedral of black history. Photos, books, documents, and it's become a national resource for scholars and regular folks in the community looking to learn about Miami's black history. She led the restoration of the historic Lyric Theater where the black archives are housed, just blocks from where she grew up. Dr. Fields, welcome to Sundial. Thank you. Well, Dr. Fields, I know that uh, specifically education, from what I've read, was very important in your home. Take me back to that.
1: Yes, when I was born, uh, before the end of World War II, see how got, how good your math is. <laughs> I wouldn't dare do the math on a woman. <laughs> I am smart enough. When I was born, my mother, her two sisters, and four brothers were college graduates. Mm. Um, four were, or three were... Um, teachers, um, two medical doctors, mm-hmm. uh, and one, a lawyer, who later became the second black judge in Miami, and the fourth in the state of Florida. Wow. So, so that, and that and they were all living in Miami's colored town, Overtown, just two blocks north of the Lyric. Wow. So having that many educated people uh, for me was uh difficult
0: it was difficult in what way
1: well um it made me feel as if uh I needed to do something with my life oh okay that's a good kind of difficult <laughs> yes <laughs> and i didn't i couldn't imagine um doing anything special i um you know, like a regular kid, uh, but I remember as early as third grade that it was a weight that I carried on my shoulders. Mm-hmm. that I th- realized that the other children uh, at school in my class mm-hmm. didn't have the same kind of uh, uh, experiences. Um, when we got when I got home, In the afternoons, my uncles and aunts would come uh, by our home because I lived with my grandmother and my stepfather. Mm -hmm. And uh, my uncles and aunts would come by the house to see my grandmother and uh, talk about their day. Okay. And uh, two medical doctors talking about patients and the kind of day they had, a lawyer, uh, uh, school teachers, everybody talking about... uh, you know, the kinds of things that they went through, and um, that was very interesting and entertaining, Uh, but I wondered, what would I be able to do? And so the stories they told about early Miami and growing up in Miami uh, were stories that I listened to and and did not want to hear. Oh, why? (laughs) Over and over and over again, they told the same stories. I did not know that those stories were being told to me, for me to eventually uh, be the the person to tell the community.
0: There was an expectation for you to go to college, right? Absolutely. There was, a, there was a, that was very much something that you grew up with, like that this that there was a next step, which is which is saying something because, if I'm not mistaken, for your for folks of your mom's generation, your uncle's generation, uh, the ability to go to high school was not. Uh, was was difficult in Miami-Dade County.
1: Very interesting that you should say that, absolutely. My understanding that my uh, maternal grandmother um, and grandfather both were born and grew up in Harbor Island, Bahamas.
0: The original Miami founders, the Bahamians.
1: Yes. (laughs) And uh, my grandmother uh, worked in the Bahamas as a child growing up. She worked for a family Uh, and the father was a white medical doctor. Hmm. Uh, When that family got newspapers from the states, after they finished reading the newspapers, my understanding is they would say, Ida, throw these papers away. And instead of throwing them away, she would take them home and read them. Wow! And she read that uh, black people were doing well uh, it, not only in the States, but in Jacksonville and Atlanta, there were schools for black children. So she uh, wanted to do it, the well, she did it the old-fashioned way, get married, have children, come to the States, and um, send those children to college so they could be educated.
0: Wow, so even back into the 1800s, you already have a legacy yes. of people thinking about education as a way of advancing yourself as a person.
1: Absolutely. Wow. She was determined that that would happen. So they did do it the old-fashioned way. They uh, got married uh, in the Bahamas, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, got to Key West, and two babies were born. Conks, original conks. Yes. All right. And uh, then in 1903, moved to Miami uh, to... Adjacent to downtown, mm-hmm. Colored Town. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: which is what today we call Overtown. Overtown,
1: yes. Although there were relatives living in um, Coconut Grove, which Thelma Gibson uh, reminds me was also Colortown. Town. Colored town was wherever colored people lived hmm. because that was land assigned to them.
0: Oh, I see. Yes. I see.
1: So that Thelma Gibson, who is our cousin uh, from the Bahamas, um her family was already in coconut grove living in coconut grove the stirrups were already living in coconut grove but my grandmother i understand did not want to live in quote the sticks (laughs) (laughs) so
0: coconut grove was the
1: sticks the wilderness yes yes. (laughs) she wanted to live in uh, um, a community where they were they had stores, and uh, they were building. She was a city girl. She was a city girl, nice and man. she wanted to live uh, next to downtown. Cause that's where, and, and, of course, that's where the laborers were.
0: And so she has children that grew up here. And in Miami-Dade County, as I, as I understand, if you were black, in Miami-Dade County, uh, there was no available high school edu- public high school education after the eighth grade. So that means Correct. your mom and all her uncles and aunts had to leave Miami?
1: Yes, Wow! Uh, not my mother, but the first uh, five, four or five children. Uh, my grandmother sent them, and my grandmother was a washerwoman. She washed clothes like hmm. the other washerwomen uh, for the tourists.
0: Okay. Yes. Like uh, the original hospitality industry, yes. I guess you could say. Absolutely. Wow. Yes. How many immigrants Royal- have, have made that trek coming here and <laughs> coming here and, and working in the hospitality industry to to pick your family up? Yes.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Um, at the Royal Palm Hotel, so that she would walk across the railroad tracks um, to get bundles of clothes. And of course, there were no washers and dryers. So the only way to get the clothes clean and the sheets and everything, the linen, uh, was for the washerwomen. To pick up the clothes, take them to their homes, and wash them, wash, iron. Uh, they had to boil the starch. Uh, the if clothes were white. They had to have bluing. There were about five, ten tubs that they used to do all of that, and then, of course, hang them up in the back. So that when children were playing, they knew not to go near the clothes.
0: Don't you go tear, touch <laughs> those beautiful whites hanging in the backyard? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So uh, clearly, for her, then education was a way to move her children, have have them have a different experience. So what did that mean for you then? You grew up around these all these educated uh, black men and women, and uh, you had obviously created an expectation for you. But but how did it how did it shape you? Do you think?
1: Well, the first child was sent to the Florida Baptist Academy in Jacksonville after mm. finishing eighth grade here.
0: My God, to move your kids across the state. Yes.
1: Wow. Um, it, it was associated with the church, Mount Zion Baptist Church, which is still located on 3rd Avenue uh, and 9th Street in Overtown. Okay. Uh, it was a, They didn't have that church then. They were meeting in, uh, in homes, mm-hmm. but they were connected with the Florida Baptist Academy, and I say that because the Florida Baptist Academy moved from Jacksonville to St. Augustine uh, to Live Oak, and then to Miami Gardens. The Florida mm-hmm. Baptist Academy uh, is now Florida Memorial University. Oh, okay. In Miami Gardens. Wow, a long yes, history there. Yes, yes. So historically black colleges. Uh, one uh, uh, child went to uh, Tuskegee University. Um, one went to Spelman College, uh, but they went to the high school. All of the HBCUs started with high school departments. Oh, like almost like a boarding school for high school. Wow. Yes, so my grandmother and grandfather were not the only ones who were interested in their children being educated. There were so many others that they were sent to to college to the high school uh, division.
0: Of those of those, Of schools. those, yes. And that was formative for you because you grew up around all these college folks, and, and I understand you went to, you were in Spelman College. Yes. Which is a, a, a well-known, well-respected historically black college in Atlanta.
1: Absolutely. And it was at Spelman College in Atlanta that I uh, met Dr. Martin Luther King. I, um... What was that like? Huh. How did that happen? How did that meeting happen? <laughs> well... Um, 1960 I graduated from Booker T Washington High School okay 1200 Northwest 6th Avenue in Miami's color town and still there today absolutely uh, thanks to the Alumni Association and the uh, all of the people who helped to to keep it there and um, to make it great um, graduated from Booker T uh, was accepted to Spelman, um, with many others Mm -hmm. uh, going to the Atlanta University Center. We got on the train uh, on Northwest Sixth Street uh, between First and Second, well, on First Avenue, uh, right where the train station is now. There was a little house that was a a train station with colored on one side and white on the other Mm -hmm. signs.
0: And you were officially in the Deep South uh, moving to Atlanta. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And it was interesting once as we got closer to Atlanta uh, and I actually got into the city of Atlanta, I saw for the first time um, Confederate flags flying hmm. uh, on public buildings, courthouse, uh, post office. So you knew they were public buildings. What did that mean to you? I, I was afraid. I w- couldn't couldn't believe it. Wow. Uh, I didn't know I was going to l- meet uh, Malcolm um Living in Atlanta was an experience in the 60s. When I got there, and took the test, I failed uh, the reading test. Okay. Um, at Spellman. Yes, mm-hmm. at Spellman. It was not okay with my mother. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh no. And so I was assigned to. What uh, was that conversation like with mom? What did she say? Not you good. <laughs> oh, not good. Um, so I was assigned to a reading class, but. I, I, I'm old enough now to realize that everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Assigned to a reading class, remedial reading. Okay. Kissed Christine King Ferris was the reading teacher for remedial students. Okay. She never let us forget you're here to learn to read. They didn't teach you when you were. Wherever you came from. Wherever you came them. from, but you will learn to read in my class. Oh, wow. Okay. And about three or four weeks later, after she introduced us to her uh, way of doing things, she said, and by the way, my brother will be coming from Alabama uh, with his family. He's a preacher, and he has um, he's going to try to open uh, Rich's Department Store in Atlanta because uh, we can all go down and buy clothes and... Um, buy food but we can't sit down and eat
0: because rich's department store which still exists today i believe yes uh, it it was it was still segregated at the time
1: absolutely uh and but many of us had charge cards that was one of my gifts for graduation from Mm. high school okay uh and so i could you know we could go and buy food but you had to take it outside to eat and so dr king and her uh, brother her brother and others had already gotten together and um uh, they were going to start the marches.
0: And and you would soon be part of that. Uh, Dr. Fields, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back in a minute. We're talking with Dr. Dorothy Jenkins-Fields. She's the founder of the Black Archives at the Lyric Theater. Uh, we'll be back talking with her in just a second. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias. We're back with Dr. Dorothy Jenkins-Fields. She's the founder of the Black Archives at the Lyric Theater, and it's become an incredible repository for information regarding Miami's black history. And we're talking with her today as she recalls meeting Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. during a planned protest in Atlanta when she was a student in Spelman College.
1: Yes. So I... tell me
0: about that. You're there. You, you meet Dr. Was it a big Was he a big deal at that, at that time?
1: Absolutely not. Um, Understand that his sister, uh, the remedial reading teacher, Christine King Ferris, who I understand is still alive and maybe about 98 or 99 years old. Oh, bless her. Yes. Um, Let us know that the reason that we would be going would be to help with the um, press releases and you'd better not make a mistake. Uh, with the typing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and of course we are, we we had uh, electric typewriters at the time. They were before computers. Okay, she said, uh, uh, make coffee uh, and do whatever. You're the gophers. Do whatever needs to be done uh, in order to um, to help them with what they're doing. And so it was fine, Uh, and at first, of course, everybody in the class went, Mm -hmm. and then later on, just a few of us uh, uh, went, Uh, but um, Dr. King was usually there um, uh, with Hosea Williams Mm -hmm. and all the people that you read about, Uh, and they weren't famous then. They were there. They were people doing- Doing the work. Doing the work, Mm -hmm. doing, uh, resisting. Yeah resisting what um, uh, was being th- had been thrust upon us uh, and getting the Atlanta University uh, students together uh, to walk down peacefully, peacefully. to the uh, Rich's Department Store mm-hmm. to let them know that e- they were taking our money and it was not right that they would not allow us to sit and be comfortable and to enjoy a meal uh, while we were there. And so the uh, students from Atlanta University, Clark, Morehouse, Spellman, ITC International, Inter Intertheologi- Theological uh, Seminary, Morris Brown, uh, and eventually students from Emory started coming and uh, other schools. We always think about the white allies hmm. who were always a part. Uh, of the uh, of the protest and we, we we would sometimes we would be 500 strong Wow walking from the Atlanta University Center to downtown Atlanta
0: Paint that picture for me so how long is that walk and uh, wide streets walking down the streets down the sidewalks or
1: down the sidewalks and when we got to Ridge's department store which is <clears throat> was quite a large complex mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe two blocks, two city blocks, we got he gave he always gave us our instructions and it was a human chain hmm. that we made around uh, Rich's department store and across the street from us at different intervals marched the Ku Klux Klan. Oh boy. The counter march. And, and they for, would
0: for a kid who who had shown up and seen Confederate flags flying atop buildings for the first time, that must have been yes, a terrifying experience. It was, experience. absolutely.
1: Uh, and they would come, ac- sometimes they would march across the street, and then many times they would come on the same sidewalk where we were and do a march hmm. in full regalia. Sometimes they would carry um, bowling balls hmm. in shopping bags and swing them to hit us in the stomach. Oh, my God. To stop us from having, there, there, they would say to stop, stop y'all from having children. Oh. They would squirt thing in our faces, water, just all kinds of things. And Dr. King would be walking, and he would say, "Keep walking. Don't say anything. Just keep walking." Students from the guys from Morehouse and Atlanta University and Clark uh, would. Um, be on across the street because mm-hmm. sometimes the Ku Klux Klan would get close to us and push us out into traffic, and the guys from Morehouse would come and try to cradle so that we would not be. It was a harrowing experience.
0: But but what a what a formational experience for you, I would imagine to to see that to see that response from uh, Dr. King and and how he was teaching you guys yes. to, to respond to that kind of vitriol.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it it wasn't until the TV cameras started coming and we started reading in the newspaper that other people thought what we did was brave. Uh, We just thought, I just thought that it was something that that needed to be done uh, because we wanted to, I wanted to use my charge card, Mm -hmm. my credit card. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, in the spring, of 61, I guess it was, they allowed some of the students to sit down in Woolworth. There was a big discussion as to whether or not, if they were served, the students should eat. And the decision was that, yes, they probably have black cooks, so it's okay to eat. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All those extra steps you're thinking about. That yes, time. yes,
1: yes, yes. And so they did. Mm-hmm. This one time they sat down and they ate and we were all standing around, finished eating. And then I guess we all realized at the same time, no one had any money. Oh, no. (laughs) How are we going to pay for
0: this? (laughs) Because
1: we never expected (laughs) to get that far. To get that far. So then the police were called. They were going to arrest the students. They were able to call the university presidents So all five university presidents came out and paid for the students who had eaten. And so on some occasions, going back to campus, Mm -hmm. about four or five o'clock in the afternoon, we would walk back again in line, get back to campus, and there would be a cross burning. Oh my God.
0: And you come back from Atlanta, from that experience back to Miami, changed, I would imagine. And you came back with this idea, thinking about your family, how am I going to make my mark? Do mm-hmm. you get to the point where you're a librarian at, uh, at Myrtle Grove?
1: And that's an elementary, it was an elementary school and still is. Uh-huh. Yes. And I was, I didn't know it at the time, but I was the first black on the faculty.
0: Wow. What was that like, showing up to work the, on the first, first day?
1: The first day I showed up, I had, going in the front door, I kind of brushed. Against the uh, a white teacher who was going in, and I remember we both had Louis Vuittons. That was a style then. And so the teacher looked at me and said, "You haven't cleaned my room. My oh, first my day God. now." Oh my! And God. I'm thinking, oh, what did I sign up for? So I didn't. Say, of course, I didn't say anything. And because I, I and I thought to myself, Tuesday is the day they have faculty meeting. I'm sure I'll be introduced. And so when Tuesday came and they had faculty meeting and they were about to dismiss, and I raised my hand so that the principal, to remind the principal, Mrs. Elaine Fisher, Hmm. to remind her that I was there and she was to introduce me. So she said, oh, yes, our new librarian, Dorothy Jenkins, is here. And welcome and all of that. So as we're going out, of course, the teacher who I had bumped was so apologetic and of course, we uh, we got to be uh, good friends. Of course.
0: How oh, interesting! So, so sure. how, how was your experience there, being the first? It was black interesting. On staff, black the
1: uh, school, the school, the li- library clerk, mm-hmm. uh, Mrs. Gerard, Florence Gerard, uh, an older woman.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you just you just held up air quotes <laughs> around older woman. Yes. <laughs>
1: uh was not happy at all. She had never worked for a black person, of mm. course.
0: You know, how could you tell she wasn't happy?
1: Oh, she let it be known. Oh. Yes, that uh she wasn't she said, Oh, I've never worked in a situation like this. She she was very honest. She said black people have worked for me in my home. But uh now I had the you know, degree. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, but wow, she was you were honest. The one with the degree. That's yes, yes, uh, and I mean, and she was so uncomfortable. She she retired early. I mean, she wasn't there more than three or four months. Okay, well, she that maybe really, was, maybe that was better. Yes, and so the opportunity when I started in '74, uh, seeing the uh, advanced ads about preparing for the bicentennial, mm-hmm. and that everybody should be involved and i thought to myself well this would be a good time for uh for me to learn about black history because except for what my family had said and growing up i figured they didn't know what they were talking about oh. uh, the black I-
0: history you learned you learned around the table around at your the grandmother's table. house yes. in Overtown. Yes,
1: yes, from my uncles and aunts, and from my grandmother.
0: And you thought, let me learn from a from an academic yes. level what Miami's black history. Was.
1: Absolutely, I absolutely, see. absolutely. So calling the library, and at the time I had two babies. A two-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh my goodness! And, and my, you were
0: getting ready to read twenty books to school yourself on, yes. on black Miami black history, so you could help build a curriculum. Of course, for these of students. course,
1: of course. And my then husband was a full-time law student at the University of Miami. Wow! So I didn't really have a lot of time to to do extra things on the weekend.
0: Your husband must have been trailblazing as well. Yes, absolutely. At the of Miami.
1: Yes, sixty-six blacks were just coming in.
0: So you're at school and you're thinking, I'm going to help develop this uh, Black Miami History curriculum. Yes. And you figure, let me get a bunch of books from the library. To
1: teach is to learn twice. Mm. And uh, to call and to um, have her tell me uh, her exact words. I guess those, well, when I asked for books, Mm -hmm. if she would pulled them and she came back and said, we only have a folder with obituaries. Oh, my gosh. And I said, why? And the answer she gave changed my life and the life of this community. She said, I guess those people haven't thought enough of themselves to write their history. Oh my goodness. That's exactly what I said. What a gut punch. Yes, but she didn't say it with malice. She didn't say it as if, for, for her it was matter of fact, but I wouldn't accept that. I said, oh no, somebody must be collecting history, black history. So out of I could hear from her voice that she was frustrated. She said, why don't you call the Historical Museum? She gave me the number. I know she was glad to get rid of me. She gave me the number, and I called. And to my good fortune, but nothing happens in, as an accident, uh, Dr. Thelma Peters answered and identified herself as a volunteer at the Historical Museum of Southern Florida, She said that uh, she had been a teacher at Edison Senior High School for over 30 years Mm -hmm. and had retired and gone to the University of Florida to earn a PhD in history. And I didn't know I was gonna follow in her footsteps. Uh Okay, so and she said that uh, the newly elected executive, the newly executive uh, elected president of the Historical Museum at that time was Arva Moore Parks,
0: historian. Uh A, a historian, a, a great Miami historian yes. yourself. That would go on to spark the creation of the Black Archives. Absolutely. And you were the founder. We are today we have been speaking with Dr. Dorothy Jenkins Fields, who is the founder of the Black Archives at the Lyric Theater. That is the treasure trove for Miami's Black History. We're gonna take a little break and then we're gonna come back and hear more about the Black Archives. <music> We're back on Sundial, this is Carlos Frias. We're back with Dr. Dorothy Jenkins-Fields. She's the founder of the Black Archives at the Lyric Theater. It is a wealth of Miami's black history from photos to documents and it's open to the public. The archives came about because you went looking for Miami's black history and couldn't find it, kept in one place. So tell me how you went on to found the Black Archives.
1: Well, I uh, called the Historical Museum of Southern Florida, which was then located uh, in the same building as the Museum of Science across from Vizcaya on South Miami Avenue. Okay. And uh, again, Dr. Thelma Peters answered um, and uh, was delighted to hear from me because she was then writing a book on Lemon City, now known also as Little Haiti. Okay. She said that she had uh, interviewed a few black people and uh, she'd gotten a few pictures, uh, but nothing beyond that. And that her uh, colleague, Arbor Moore Parks, who then was the newly elected president of the Historical Museum, mm-hmm. uh, the Historical Association, uh, was in Tallahassee at that time interviewing. Uh, for the new director who was later named uh, Randy Nimnick, but that Arva was also working on a book on uh, Coconut Grove Mm. and that Arva had interviewed uh, some black people and gotten some pictures and uh, information, but no one seemed interested beyond that. So I said, well, I'm interested. I then told her a little uh, about my background. And I said, "Um, I know a family of seven, who all finished college before the end of World War II uh, from Overtown. And she said, well, no, uh, we don't know of any families like that. I said, well, yes, I know them. It's my mother's family. (laughs) (laughs) I know them well, I can put you in touch. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so she wanted to interview them and uh, ask if I would uh, do that. And I said, yes, I'll ask. And um, for those who were available, uh, we went on um, Memorial Day of uh, nineteen seventy four And because it was a holiday, and uh, you know again with a two year old and a four year old, um, I still had I had a lot of work to do. I had uh, clothes to wash, I had mm-hmm. um, I had to cook, I had to do all of those things on that long weekend. So I said to my mother and my the uncles who went with me, I said, Just get in the car. No stories today, no family stories. Just let's get in the car, let's go and see this lady. You tell her your story and then we'll come home. So my uncle, the first black radiologist in South Florida. What was his name? Dr. Samuel H. Johnson. um,
0: He gets in the car with uh, the rest of your family? Yes. And you begin to create the first ethnography, so to speak, of Yes. Of of black Miami history. Yes, yes.
1: Because he said, what's the address? And I gave him the address. He said, oh, across from Vizcaya.
0: Hmm.
1: I thought, oh, there's a story coming. <laughs> he said. You knew uh, them
0: enough to know when a new story, a family story was coming.
1: He said, Viscaya Gardens. He said, Papa helped plant the flowers, helped prepare the soil and plant the, fl- the first flowers. This would have
0: been your grandfather? My
1: grandfather. Wow. And my uncle said that he was uh, the water boy, one of, one of the water boys, because I'm sure there were several at Viskaya, who would walk from Overtown to uh, Viskaya. That is a walk. Walk from Overtown to Vizcaya to take lunch. Yes, to my that was quite a walk. Wow. Yes. Yes, yes. And so he said uh, oh, I know what queer that is quite well. <laughs> <laughs> uh and so that really is how it started and and I was uh still thinking about what the library clerk had said.
0: No one had written down this history.
1: No. Well, but that, that and said. I have found out that 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 was not true. Mm. That is not true. Right. Uh the library didn't have it mm-hmm. but as i have started collecting i uh, and processing and making and making available to researchers and, and scholars and the uh, community that there were of course writings that people had done their own they just hadn't published many of them none of them had published and of course the churches always had their journals and their programs
0: because churches black churches were were the original uh, uh, history centers, yes, so to speak? Yes, 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 absolutely. And now this is not something you just went and did on your own, but you you became an actually you became an archivist. Yes, you went back to to school, back to back to Atlanta for that. Right?
1: Yes, I went back to Atlanta for that. You, you're doing your re- you've done your research. I've Great, done a little bit, I've done a little bit. <laughs> yes, and so I talked with my uncle. Now my uncle, the first the first of the seven children. Hmm. Um, was born in uh, Key West. He and his sister Elaine Adderley were born in Key West.
0: Those first two little conks that you yes. mentioned. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And, uh, the he, was other... a real,
0: he was a real mentor to you.
1: Indeed, and to all of the others. He was the yeah. one, he along with my grandmother, who saw to it that all seven children finished college. Mm. And uh, those who wanted to went on to professional school. And so I, I, he was quite a philosopher, uh, oh really? Yes. In what way? He well, he um, had a mindset and um, and was well read uh, and and thought very deeply hmm. about uh, about life. And he always talked about that one day there'll be socialized medicine. Uh, that's what we now know as Medicare. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh huh. When he was. Um, uh, in, at my Mah- when he finished Meharry and came back in the early 30s, Meharry mm-hmm. Medical College, mm-hmm. uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, he started his practice in my grandmother's home at 159 Northwest 10th Street.
0: No kidding. Yes, his uh, practice was in. But your in those home.
1: in those days, uh, most of the doctors practiced at home, so he um, had a patient with a broken kneecap, and uh, he had a, a coupe, his car. Uncle Sammy had a little coop. Mm-hmm and he took the patient to City, to city Hospital, uh, which is now known as Jackson Memorial. Okay. And you know the Alamo at uh, at Jackson Memorial, that little pink building? Okay. That is That was the entire hospital. Oh my goodness. And they had uh, shanties uh, in the back for blacks and for uh-huh. the Indians, because the Seminole Indians were people of color also. Right. So they did a lot of what they did in Overtown and they were treated like colored people. So my uncle sat in the back in one of the shanties with the patient with the broken kneecap, he said, for almost 12 hours before they would even let him in. And then when they said, all right, we'll see you, he got to the door and they said, well, you can't come in. He said, but I am board certified. They said, Negroes are not allowed here. Hmm. So uh, he said he went back in the shanty and waited uh, so that he could uh, take the patient home he said he was my uncle was so upset about that that he saved his money for a year and uh, then closed his practice and went to cook county hospital in chicago and became a certified radiologist wow came back to miami and built his own clinic wow and that clinic Amazing. has been uh, is being restored now
0: and this was the and this is the mentor and he was the the gentleman who was a uh, that was a mentor to you, your uncle was, oh, was yes, a mentor Oh yes, to, to you. all of
1: us. And to encourage you to,
0: to then collect Miami's history, and you learned how to be an archivist.
1: Yes, nice. and I became certified in archives. I mean, it was a field that was just starting. You see, I, st- I realized about two or three weeks after I was there, and I was at the historical museum because the school board uh, assigned me there, I realized that I was there for a purpose. Hmm. And uh, I would take my lunch and gobble it up and then go sit in the library at uh, the Historical Museum and read the journals. Uh, And in one of the journals it said something about archives administration uh, was just starting Hmm. as a field of study in history. And so I uh, talked to Uncle Sammy about it. He said, whatever you need. Whatever you need, I'll write the check.
0: Wow, and he he and paid he for did. He paid for your archival. He training He paid schooling. for
1: that, and uh, and I thought I, I I wrote. Well, at first he really wanted me to go to Duke to get a Ph.D. in history, but I had two babies and a husband in law school. I couldn't do that. Wow, uh, and uh, and I wrote to. I was accepted at Duke. I was accepted at uh, Columbia. I wrote to every school that had. Uh, a library program at the time, and was accepted um, at, uh, at several. Um, but then I saw a program at Emory University, a summer program in archives administration, and I decided to go there since I was a Spelman graduate. And I asked the uh, president, wrote to Donald Stewart, who was president of Spelman at the time, and they wrote back and said yes, because I said I want to bring my mother, and my two daughters. Oh my goodness. My mother always took me to, with her to when she went in the summer for graduate school because the state of Florida and the other southern states paid for black teachers to go out of state. Wow. Did you hear me? Did you yes. understand what I said?
0: Yes, paid for you to get out. To,
1: to get out to, of state. To go somewhere else. To go someplace else wow. to
0: earn a master's. If you're going to be an educated black woman, yes. you, please leave Florida. Yes. But how interesting that you would go with your mom, and now your daughters would yes. go with you. So all when, to, to experience higher education. So
1: when I was invited and, and, and was accepted at Emory, at that program, right away I invited my mother Uh, because I knew I would take the children. How wonderful. Yes. And so when I got there, um, and I had asked Dr. Stewart, the president of Spelman, if they would give me two rooms in the dormitory. (laughs) Uh, And when I got there, uh, they said, Mrs. Allen, Mrs. Sadie Allen, who was the uh, president's assistant, said, well, uh, we've made other arrangements for you. And I said, I couldn't imagine. She said, the president has given you the guest house Or visiting professors. Wow. Yes, with maid service. (laughs) Oh, wow. Amazing. Yes, yes, yes. So you really had this incredible
0: support. I mean, certainly you went and got it, but you also had great support around you. Absolutely. Both both in examples and and with people welcoming you to, to, to keep furthering your career. Yes, yes. So you take that knowledge and you come back to Miami and you establish... The Black Arlo- Archives, it begins as a photo archive. Right?
1: I did it, yes, and I did it because uh, at the program at Emory, uh, when I explained to them my situation, the fact that I worked uh, full time and you know, my husband's in law school, uh, there was no way that I could not work. Uh, they they were the ones who said, uh, why don't you start an archives? Hmm. And I said, start an archives. <laughs> you can't start an archives. And they said, yes, you can. Right. So you know, when you are in graduate school, you always have to write a paper. So my paper was the, the establishment of the Black Photographic Archives Amazing. in Miami Dade County. Amazing. Uh, one of our church members um, knew what I was doing, and she didn't have uh, uh, much family. Um, but her, her grandchildren were coming to visit, and she only had one picture of her husband, who was a doughboy uh, in World War One. And so we're talking now about the early 70s. Uh, so Walgreens and CVS, well, CVS was, didn't even exist. It was Eckert then. All right, I remember it. Did I'm old not to remember Eckerd Drugs. Did not have a place for you to copy photographs. So this grandmother had uh, this one picture of her husband, and she wanted it in safekeeping. Hmm. So she took two buses from Liberty City to get to the Historical Museum. Wow. And she had to take two buses back. And it was then that I realized, you know, I'm too far away from the people.
0: So the archives led to other things, which is not just the (laughs) preservation of documents, but the preservation of... Places.
1: Yes, yes.
0: It's now housed at the Lyric Theater, the beautiful, the incredible Lyric Theater. But when Mm -hmm. you first came across it, Mm -hmm. it was condemned.
1: It was condemned. It was, and it was going to be, and the sign was on it. It was going to be condemned. And I mentioned it, uh, looked at it, and then mentioned it to uh, my uncle, um, Uncle Sammy. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Uh, Dr. S.H. Johnson. What what an angel he was (laughs) for you. Um, And my board members were with me, and they were people who had grown up in Miami, and all of them were at least 20 years older than I. Uh, And they said to me as we were looking at it, uh, oh, tear that down. Well, let's let's get a new one, you know, a theater. And I mentioned it to Uncle Sam, and he said, no, you can't tear it down. He said, Mr. Jeter Walker built it for the black people. Hmm. And he said, "Uh, I know because we lived two blocks uh, north of the Lyric, and he was about 13. Uh, He said, I was 13 when it was built before I went to the um, Florida Baptist Academy. Uh, I would walk by there, and I would see Mr. Jeter Walker out there And he said, I would also see black men out there playing checkers. He said, many of the men were always laughing and bragging and saying that they helped build Miami. Hmm. We went to city hall looking for the city charter. Hmm. We wanted to see how many of the black men could sign their names. And on the charter, it shows that all of the names and the uh, description of the area to become uh, the city of Miami was all in one hand, written by one person, the clerk of the court of the time. Right. And each man's name, next to each man's name was his race. Ah, <laughs> yes. And so that really, really got me excited about documents right. and uh, the stories that they tell. and the documents that are waiting for us to discover.
0: And so many of these documents are now, uh, they're now kept at the Black Archives, at the Lyric Theater. And
1: And there's an exhibit there, If These uh, Streets Could Talk. Uh, The exhibit was put together by uh, Timothy Barber, who was our longtime director, who is now in Tallahassee. And uh, it's a fabulous exhibit that talks, that shows resistance, Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, resistance is the, um, black resistance is the um, national theme for Black History Month for this year. Uh, Resistance is also the theme for an exhibit that is at the Historical Museum of Southern Florida, a national exhibit that has come so between those two, you get to see the kinds of struggles, the kind of situations uh, that, uh, that people uh, went through just because the color of their skin is black and brown. Yeah. Uh, coming here just a minute ago, I was talking with one of the assistants who said uh that uh the marketing person from the uh from history miami who was saying that uh uh her mothers uh uh came to this area her grandparents Mm -hmm. came to this area and um and i said to her that when families came from cuba uh if one child was dark and the other one uh was white one was black and one was white the black child would be assigned to Booker T, and the white child had to go to Miami Senior High. My God. I mean, they split families. Yeah. Uh, The kinds of situations that uh, we grew up in should never happen again. And so people have to pay attention because some of the things, we're in a situation now where some of the things are being repeated. Yes.
0: And uh, it's this kind of information that we can find at the Black Archives, uh, housed at the Lyric Theater. Uh, Today, we were speaking with Dr. Dorothy Um, Jenkins-Fields. Dr. Fields is featured in the oral history project, Stories of Resistance from Black Miami at the History Miami Museum. Uh, Dr. Fields is also the founder of the Black Archives at the Lyric Theater, and you can find more information about the Lyric, uh, the Black Archives online. Dr. Fields, Thank you so much for making time today to talk with us about the extraordinary work that you've done in our community.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: And that's sundown for Monday, January 16th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Our engagement editor is Katie Lepre Cohen. Our digital editor is Mateos Sanchez. Katie Munoz is our interim managing editor. And our senior news editor is Jessica Bakeman. Peter J. Merz is WLRN's Vice President of Radio and Sundial's engineer. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band, Palo, at GoPalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we're joined by one of FIU's original employees. He's been working there since before the university opened in 1972 and he's retiring now after 50 years. Professor Emeritus turned administrator, Stephen Fain joins us. We'll start remembering back when the university was being built upon an old executive airport. I'm Carlos Frias, thanks for listening.